My name is Dara Benyakar, and this is The Shakespeareans. In case you're new here, I, along with my former English teacher, Mr. Letterer, talk about Shakespeare. So this season, we're talking about Hamlet, and in this episode, we'll be exploring a live production of Hamlet, as well as Act 1, Scene 3. Hope you enjoy. Um... So anyways, yeah, I'm excited to get back to Hamlet. And um, I know that you went and saw Hamlet at uh, the Delacorte Theater in Central Park over the weekend. And I haven't had a chance to go. And I don't think I'm in the end. I don't think I'm going to get a chance to go. But um, I'm I'm interested in hearing what you think about it. The New York Times, the stodgy old New York Times slammed it. They said it was terrible and awful, and there were many bad adjectives that were hurled about, and lots of cranky old, um, you know, Shakespeare purists posted uh, on the review, and we're like, yeah, the the only good Shakespeare's Royal Shakespeare Company was Laurence Olivier. You should go back and watch the 1968 production of Hamlet. And it was just like, I was like, okay, thanks, old people, but um, or I was inclined to think, thanks, Boomer. So what did you think of the Shakespeare in the Park? I thought it was great. It the I don't know, the stage started out and it showed on the stage, you know, before the actors came on, some sort of colonel or admiral. And I just assumed that would be um King Hamlet. And like at that point I knew it was going to be more of a modern take on it, which it was. And I, I really liked it. So it, it was it was portrayed in a way that would make sense today, but I think they were able to maintain a lot of the original. They definitely use the same language. I mean, they cut a few things out. Some some stuff I think they cut out was important, specifically um, the stuff with Fortinbras and the war, but overall, I think it was really good. So one of the criticisms that all the, the New York Times uh, levied right, was that it was sort of hijacked in the name of popular culture. Um, and, you know, there are definitely some of the people who, I, I haven't seen the production, you could tell me what you think about it, but, you know, some of, one of the sort of, uh, I guess one of the posters translated what some of the other posters were saying, and they were saying that essentially, like, it wasn't white enough. Because it was, I believe, an, an all-black cast or a majority black cast. And the principal uh, actor who played Hamlet had been in a uh, slave play, which had had huge, uh, you know, critical praises uh, on, on Broadway. Um, so he's really, an, uh, you know, an up-and-coming uh, actor. But... Um, so I mean, was it a very, was it a very sort of Black Lives Matter kind of narrative or was it just a different way to set Hamlet that then wasn't necessarily, you know, your traditional, I guess, white Hamlet. So what, I mean, what were your thoughts on that? I didn't think there was any sort of modern agenda or Black Lives Matter, as you said. Um, I didn't think their race came up at all, actually, except that, except for the actors, it kind of reminded me, I guess, of Hamilton, which had, um, I don't, I don't know if I would say majority, but it had a decent amount of black actors and 
um, people of color who were actors, but it didn't, it didn't come up. It, it, in my opinion, the lines would have been the same had it been an all white cast. I don't think it made a difference. I mean, I, th- I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't know if I'm surprised to hear that. I think it's cool. I mean, I think it's cool that like people are sort of coming out and saying, hey, look, you know, like people of color can can play any role and you can have a Shakespeare production and you don't have to. I think that's awesome. You know, you don't you don't have to like take it away from the story and then sort of wrap it in your own agenda. And I've seen some political stuff at, you know, Shakespeare in the Park. I saw the, you know, whoever was Alex, Alex Jones or whatever, disrupt a performance of, of Julius Caesar. We're see, very early on in the first, uh, or in the, <laughs> I shouldn't say first Trump administration. I'm going to jinx myself. Um, in the Trump administration, um, you know, where, where Trump was clearly the the model for caesar and and you know it was that was very very political and it was a it was a pretty white production but it was definitely divided along political ideological lines although i think um if any of the people who who caught the protest back when it happened i think they missed the point <laughs> which was julius caesar is the assassination of caesar wasn't so much about as the protesters said uh, you know, committing violence or condoning violence against the right. Um, it was actually the opposite of that, because the point of Caesar is that, if, you know, if you don't like the way government is going in a democratic society, then you have to vote. Um, and violence and c- circumventing the democratic process is not an acceptable way to do it. Um, although I don't think either side got the memo given January 6th. Anyway, let's get back to Hamlet, um, making Shakespeare great again. Okay, so we left off with Act 1, Scene 2. So I'll just pick up Scene 3, Summary. Um, So we have Laertes is leaving, but before he goes, he's explaining to Ophelia, his sister, that she really can't trust Hamlet because he'll have other responsibilities being, you know, part of the royalty. And Ophelia tells him she'll... Keep in mind what he said, but he should also listen to his own advice. Then Polonius comes to greet him goodbye with a bunch of warnings. And once Laertes leaves, Polonius learns that uh, Laertes and Ophelia were talking about Hamlet and gives more warnings to Ophelia about Hamlet and about Hamlet's love. So the first thing I want to talk about is that Laertes explains to Ophelia that, quote, youth to itself rebels, though none else is near. And I interpreted this line as saying, you know, people or youth specifically lose their control even when no one else is making it happen. And I thought this was interesting because, you know, it may be true, but what I've noticed in Hamlet is that, you know, the loss of self-control is actually very related to the actions of others and what happens around these people. So was this, I don't know, was, was there a larger point trying to be made? Or, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that that, that the idea that, I, I mean, I think it, it's sort of this James Dean kind of moment, if you know uh, Rebel Without a Cause. I don't know if you know the old classic film, but there's a line in the film where James Dean is asked, you know, what are you rebelling against? Or his character is asked, what are you rebelling against? And he turns and he says, well, what do you got? Right. So it's like this idea of like you're going to rebel 
if you're if you're a teenager no matter what no matter whether there's something to rebel against or not you're going to find something to rebel against so i think there's there's that as well just the idea of like it's one of shakespeare's bad boys it's like he he's he's that archetype you know it's like he's going to he's going to do he's going to do the wrong thing because that's just who he is. So I think the warning is there. I think another interesting thing, and I will give credit where credit is due. I think it was the, uh, I don't know if it was the actual, the New York times review of the play, or if it was somebody who was commenting on the play, I can't remember, but just to kind of back up a little bit, um, old Hamlet, the King who was assassinated, right. Um, do you know, or do you remember, I should say, how, how he was assassinated? Because I forgot. And then I, I, they mentioned this detail. Do you remember how he, was, how he was killed? You mean by Claudius? Yeah, but what was the method? Yeah, poison poured into his ear. Right. And so the interesting thing that I saw is, as, and this is not certainly a new commentary, but I mean, I think it's one that I wasn't aware of, um, was the idea that that's exactly what Hamlet's King Hamlet's ghost did to his son, poured poison into his ear, you know? So, um, although, you know, in that case saying nothing, although the poison itself was silent. So that was a, that was another thing too, which is like Hamlet is, yeah, he's rebelling and outwardly he's got all this teen angst going on. But we also can't forget that we have this inside knowledge that that he is sort of tainted with something much bigger than teen angst. There's something more going on. So anyways, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Oh, that that is interesting. Um, And kind of, you know, speaking of youth rebelling, um, Ophelia tells Laertes basically to li- listen to his own advice and here Shakespeare coins the term primrose path. So um, I remember, I guess in your class learning that Shakespeare, well, he contributed a lot to the English language. So I looked it up and according to shakespeare.org.uk, he invented over 1,700 words that we use today, some of which include bedroom, lonely, and traditional. And I remember um, he actually hearing while I was at the play, um, I think it was, I, I, you know, don't quote me on this, but I think it was Polonius who's talking about how, uh, Hamlet is mad, but that there's a method to it. So method to his madness as well. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the, the, the Hamlet method to the madness thing, it, it that can be addressed certainly as we go on. But I think that the interesting thing that I would also point out about Shakespeare. And I think when I was, you know, teaching as well, like there's such a comparison uh, and such a parallel that can be drawn between Shakespeare and like hip hop. Um, And, 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 and earlier, you know, sort of rock and punk and stuff like that, which is the fact that Shakespeare is credited with inventing these words, but in truth, he invented some of them. Absolutely. But he also was just taking kind of street slang and putting it on the stage and and codifying it. So it was kind of like, 
Shakespeare also served the function of like what we would have as memes today. So when language gets filtered through the internet and, you know, all of a sudden everybody's using a new term, okay, or my soon to be nine-year-old son is incessantly calling me bro. Um, I attribute that to popular culture. Thanks, popular culture. Um, but you know, anything, anything like that, it's, it's getting filtered. Well, sorry, I'm ringing. Um, so it's getting filtered through, you know, this, this, uh, medium. And it, today the medium is the entertainment of memes and the entertainment of, of, you know, whatever streaming videos, YouTube, anything, uh, influencers, but everything was much more focused in Shakespeare's day. It wasn't as quick. So Shakespeare was the influencer. You went and you picked up language, but Shakespeare was hanging out. He was out there and he had his, he had his ear to the ground as it were. Um, and so I think something like Primrose Path, that may well be something that he made up. Um, and a lot of the stuff he just kind of off the cuff made up because he needed it. Um, again, right person, right place, right time at the evolution of the English language because there were all these gaps. So he was the person who stepped in and filled in the gaps. But there was also the idea that he was just he was just out there listening to, you know, the kids on the street and cool people and hanging out with them and putting that on the stage. So I think that's also interesting, but yeah, Primrose Path. I don't, you don't hear too many people use that anymore. I think we should bring that back. Yeah, we, we can bring it back. Um, I tried and, to bring back Huzzah and uh, that was a fail. Didn't work. No, no. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, it seems that uh, in terms of, you know, how many words Shakespeare has invented, he may have deceived me. And just, oh, wow, speaking of deceit, it's interesting that, was that great, there's... That was a good smooth segue. Keep going. No, no, it was just it was just natural. <laughs> it wasn't on purpose. Okay. No, no, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. I'm impressed. All right, go ahead. <laughs> anyway, speaking of deceit, we we don't... I mean, obviously, deceit is a huge um, you know, theme. And it's... Some of it is... I mean, some of it is obvious. But some of it, um, like some of the fakeness, we can't totally be sure about we don't really know like if claudius actually loves hamlet um i mean hamlet doesn't love claudius might not love his own mom and yet um it's interesting that polonius and laertes i mean i see their logic for you know telling ophelia to be careful but it's interesting that they're basically advising her to push away hamlet um for basically hamlet and ophelia to push away each other when they seem like they might actually love each other. I mean, I, I think those are all, th th those are interesting things, but I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit. Right. Um, and, and because this is, this is one of the cool things about Shakespeare is that in the hands of a lesser writer, perhaps um, it would have been a binary choice, either, you know, Claudius, loves Hamlet or he doesn't love him or Hamlet loves his mother. Or he doesn't love his mother. But I think one of the interesting things about Shakespeare was that he just really understood the fluidity of human emotion and the complexity and the nuance of what it means to be human and troubled and torn 
And that love is something that can be really mercurial um, and mixed in with hate and resentment and anger and blame and all of these other things. And I think that as, as Hamlet's uncle, right, the, Claudius had to have, you know, loved Hamlet since he was born. I mean, he saw Hamlet as a baby and it was his brother's son. I mean, it's his nephew. So whatever he's done and whatever sort of negative feelings he has that he's projecting onto Hamlet. And I think that's a lot of it, a lot of his projection. Like, I think you can't, there's no way you can kill your brother and not have some, some self-resentment wrapped up in that. Like there's, there's no matter what your level of ambition, like, I guess if you're just a pure sociopath and you have no remorse whatsoever, but he doesn't seem to be written as a pure sociopath, that would be much less interesting. Um, what he is, is a guy who wanted what he wanted, um, both the throne and, you know, the queen, um, and was ruthless, absolutely brutally ruthless in getting it. And that's part of what obsession is about is you become obsessed with things. And I think Shakespeare writes this so well, and it's like a fever and you just can't get out of it. And then when the thing is done, it's like breaking a spell. So I think now, you know, the spell is broken. The murder has been done. And, you know, the king, the current queen, Claudia, uh, the, the queen, excuse me, uh, Claudius and, and uh, Gertrude, they're, they're there and they're torn, but they, but they have to keep moving. You know, and and I think that's also like one of the things that Shakespeare, this is one of my favorite things to watch for in Shakespeare, which is who is suited for killing and who isn't. Shakespeare is fascinated with that. You know, um, Macbeth could kill with no problem. And I, I go back to Macbeth often because it's such a great play. Um, Lady Macbeth, not so much. She thought she could murder. And it did not work out for her, you know, and, and as long as Macbeth felt that he was killing in, in a righteous cause, you know, and it was the same thing with the conspirators with Julius Caesar, you know, it was like, they, they, they didn't have as much of a stomach for killing as they should have. Um, I think one of the big takeaways from Julius Caesar is, you know, um, if you're going to have a coup, um, kill everybody, <laughs> not just, <laughs> don't leave anybody standing. Um, and if you don't have the stomach for it, you probably shouldn't do it. Um, then you're not fit to, to lead in that manner. Um, so I think that, that, you know, there, a lot of what is going on in Hamlet is like how suited they are to kill. And I think that it, they're kind of suited I just think, I think if Hamlet weren't there, they could just kind of carry on and get through it. Um, the problem is, is Hamlet is this constant reminder and they don't want him to be with Ophelia in part because 
it solidifies his spot as heir um, if he and Ophelia get together and are potentially wed. So then you have a, a crown prince who can potentially produce a viable heir and then who gets to be king, right? Um, who really is king? Who should sit on the throne? Who's a usurper? Who's a pretender? And then you have the shadow of war and you know seats of political power are not necessarily stable to begin with and they're less stable um in a time of military conflict so there's a lot there, there's a lot going on yeah definitely just to also go back to what you said um claudius you know he like you said he does um what he does you know he he well you know he does what he does and he gets to marry Gertrude, he gets his throne, but then he's living with the guilt of, okay, I got what I wanted. What do I do with the guilt that I have? And he actually, um, I think it's a soliloquy that he has um, in a few scenes uh, where he explores that. So we'll see that kind of unfold. Yeah, you got to do what they did. You have to be stone cold. And they just aren't. Although in Shakespeare, you know, it's interesting, like Gertrude manages to be a little bit colder. Um, it, it's always interesting in a couple, you know, again, Macbeth was the, was the one who was, who was stone cold lady Macbeth. Um, you know, she couldn't take the heat. Um, in, in this play, there's a bit of a, a different balance in that. So anyways, let's move forward. Okay. That's all I had for scene three. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you have any questions or feedback, be sure to reach out at theshakespeareanspodcast at gmail.com. Next time, we're going to be wrapping up Act 1. Things are getting very exciting. You don't want to miss it, so I'll see you then.